0: A few weeks ago, we let you know that on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we thought it might be fun to do a family show. And we invited you to call in with your questions about family drama, family dynamics, family conflicts before Thanksgiving, that holiday when you have to sit at a big table with everybody that you're related to, in theory at least. And I have to say the calls we got in were really good. Depressing. And we handle them in this show. We're going to answer your family questions, but it is a grind. And it just made me reflect upon a basic truth of the advice racket. Your sample is always hopelessly skewed. That you don't get mixed in with those questions about mom and dad and siblings and uncles and family drama and Russian wives. You don't get questions – about how wonderful everything is because there's no problem when mom is loving and decent, when your cousin's wife isn't a transphobic bitch, when your dad is only too happy to see the man who sodomizes you across the dining room table on Thanksgiving. There's nothing to call Dan Savage or Cheryl Strayed or Prudy or any of, or any of the other advice racket mafia about because everything's going fine. So I have to say, after listening to this week's calls, I was just really, we were all here in the Savage Lovecast booth on the 23rd floor of the Washington Mutual building overlooking beautiful Puget Sound. We were all a little deflated. So I just want to, before we play this show for you, I want to give a shout out to all the folks out there who are decent, kind, and loving siblings, parents, grandparents, friends, neighbors, who didn't give anybody cause to call me. This week, And ask me questions about what assholes their siblings, parents, grandparents, cousins, neighbors, friends are. You're not represented in this show. You're not going to find awesome, loving, supportive family in this show. Except on the periphery of some of these calls where people refer to the family members they have who are decent. You're going to hear a lot about shitbags that people happen to be related to and therefore are, at least in theory, obligated to sit down at dinner with. This Thursday night. asterisk there. You are not obligated to sit down to dinner on Thursday night with anybody that you don't want to sit down to dinner with. Just saying. But I want to say I'm thankful for all of you who are out there, who are good and kind and decent and loving family members. And I know you're out there. You're just not in the pile of calls on this week's Lovecast, unfortunately. Fortunately, however, in this week's Lovecast, we've got Ken Jennings. Jeopardy! champ and super smart guy here to take a couple questions with me. And one of my biological relatives, actually, who's a pretty decent and loving guy, a thoroughly decent and loving guy, is also on the show today. Happy Thanksgiving.
2: Hi, Dan. So my wife and I are going to visit my family for Thanksgiving in a few months. And I have a transgender cousin. everybody in the family is totally fine with this. They have been nothing but accepting of her. Even my very old grandmother was a little confused at first, but she seems to be taking it all in stride. We're all really excited that we're getting together. Because we don't get together very often. And the whole family has no issue with my cousin being transgender. Uh, the one exception to this is my wife. She is Russian, and her resistance or kind of indifference to the LGBTQ community I think it's strictly because she grew up in a country that never had any sort of LGBTQ movement. And so she just kind of has a knee jerk reaction of gay marriages wrong. And, you know, transgender people must be confused because she just hasn't been exposed to any alternatives. Now, through me and through living in America with me for the last couple of years and through meeting my gay friends and my friends who have gay family members, she is now at a point where she's fine with gay people getting married. She still thinks it's a little icky, but she's not going to try to stop anybody. She doesn't treat anybody differently. She's not going to, you know, thunder at a pulpit or anything about how evil and against God and against nature, gay marriages with my cousin, however, she is kind of, you know, grudgingly refusing to use the proper pronoun. Um, Again, my, my cousin is male to female transgender. Um, I don't know if she has any plans to get any sort of operation or become a transsexual or anything, but I can kind of see it when my wife sees my cousin and, she sees her and her makeup and her lipstick and her earrings and her dress and everything. She's not very good at hiding how she just thinks it's like really, really, really weird. And I'm a little concerned about any, you know, some sort of tension around Thanksgiving because again, the whole family is totally fine with this. And frankly, my wife would embarrass herself and embarrass me if she refused to call my cousin by she or her, and she's done that before in conversations either with me or uh, with friends. There was one time when we were at a party and we were talking to a friend who had a gay brother, and I started telling her about my cousin, and my wife insisted on referring to my cousin as he, and I just kind of deferred because we were at a party and I wasn't going to make a scene about it. But I talked to her about it later, and I was like, that's not cool. He need to use the proper pronoun. And she was just kind of like, oh, just leave me alone. I, I, I don't get it. I'm not, I can't accept it. Your cousin is a guy. I'm going to call him a guy. Again, I think this is mostly born out of just ignorance and not knowing enough transgender and transsexual people to really just kind of be okay with it. But I'm wondering if you have any insight for those of us who are getting ready to spend the holidays uh, and maybe we've married people or there are people in our family who are not as accepting. They range either from ignorant and not accepting to thundering assholes who refuse to accept our LGBTQ
3: family members.
0: You broadened the scope of your question out at the very end from what do I do about my shitty, bigoted, transphobic Russian wife to what should all people do who may be gathering with family this holiday season, who may have relatives who run the gamut from mildly uncomfortable with LGBT to asshole raging anti-LGBT bigots. That's a huge question and the gradations uh, of responses required to address everyone from a little uncomfortable to raging asshole bigot would eat up three weeks worth of this program. Right, We'd have to dedicate three entire podcasts to me just running my mouth and, ever, and thinly slicing the loaf of shitty relatives and addressing each particular case. So I'm not going to do that. The quickest way to address all of those relatives from mildly uncomfortable to raging shitty bigot is for the non-raging shitty bigots in the family to stick up for the queer family members and get in the face of the shitty bigot family members. And in advance of it so that perhaps Thanksgiving won't be ruined. Here's what you say to your shitty bigot Russian wife. You stop bringing your hands, okay? You stop making excuses for her. You stop rationalizing her shit. There was, there is or there was until very recently an LGBT movement in Russia that was snuffed out by the demagoguery of the Putin regime. So it's just not true that there was never an LGBT civil rights movement in Russia or any LGBT presence in Russia. There was until Putin and his henchmen decided that they needed a scapegoat and went after LGBT people very, very viciously. Your wife succumbed to that vicious bullshit. She drank the vicious fucking Kool-Aid and chose to be a bigot. That indeed is a choice. She's getting over it on the gay thing through exposure to you and your friends and your friends who happen to be gay. She'll get over the transphobic thing by exposure to you and a firmer you and your family members. But For this Thanksgiving, for Thanksgiving coming up, for two days from now, here's what you say to your shitty bigot Russian wife about your cousin. She's a woman, period, the end. If you can't bring yourself to use the proper pronouns, don't use any pronouns at all. How about that option? Call her by her name and avoid using her fucking pronouns. Because the only thing you're going to achieve if you call my female cousin, by, improv, by the incorrect pronouns, if you use masculine pronouns to refer to her in front of my relatives, the only thing you're going to – you're not going to make her not trans. You're not going to make her not a woman. You're going to make yourself look like an asshole and make me look like an idiot for marrying an asshole. And you're going to piss off all of my relatives. They're not going to be mad at my cousin. They're going to be mad at you. So the only person you're harming in that context, Thanksgiving dinner, when you attack a relative of ours is yourself. The only relationship you're harming, not my cousin's relationship with her relatives. The only relationship you're harming is your relationship with my relatives and your relationship with me. So if you can't bring yourself to use the proper pronouns, shut your fucking mouth. And if you must refer to my cousin, refer to her by name. And then you don't have to use any fucking pronouns at all.
4: Hi, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old single lady from the St. Louis area. Growing up, my mother was terribly abusive, physically and mentally. Uh, It was bad for my sisters as well, but it was always worse for me. On top of that, she's extremely judgmental, and for most of my life, I've had self-esteem issues. I decided to forgive her for the abuse, even though she never apologized for it. Uh, For a long time, I thought she was mentally ill or delusional, because constantly her recollection of events doesn't match reality, and she's been playing the victim my entire life. I recently learned what the term gaslighting means and it was an eye opener because she's still being insanely abusive and everybody is just putting up with it. A year ago, I ended an abusive relationship with my son's father. I should mention that I am clinically depressed and untreated. I'm pretty broke. I'm a single mom of an autistic three-year-old. I'm an awesome mom. I don't have money, but I spend a lot of time and energy with and on my son. Uh, Just over the summer, his dad started doing every other weekend visits, so I'm living my life as much as I can with or without my kid around, dating, I'm making friends, I'm having experiences, and it feels awesome. I came out to my parents about being pansexual. My mother was disapproving, which I was able to laugh at. My father and my stepmom took it great. They're great people. Uh, I've never really felt like I fit in with my family. They're all really different from me, but I'm done with closets. So I've got to take it or leave it attitude, and it feels awesome. So a few weeks ago, my mom called me, and I was already stressed out about money, and she started asking me about money and telling me I wasn't doing enough for my child. I worked two jobs, by the way. She was judging my life choices and telling me that I should be working four jobs like she did, even though she didn't. I remember I was there. It's just too much to hear about how I'm failing as a mother from that woman. So I screamed at her on the phone and hung up on her. She texted me that I was ungrateful, and I sent her a link to a blog about gaslighting. And at this point, I haven't talked to her since. I'm waiting for an apology, not about how I grew up, but about her judging my parenting now. So she called me on my birthday and left me a message, and it wasn't a happy birthday message. It was a passive-aggressive, woe is me I haven't seen my grandson thing that I did not return. So, I am spending Thanksgiving with my dad's family, but I don't know about Christmas. I don't really want to see or talk to her until she apologizes to me. I don't know if that's fair to my son. I don't know if I should be soliciting an apology. So, any advice is welcome.
0: I just want to say that if you have the time and the space to be out there to be dating, to be living your life, particularly on those weekends when your son is with his father, that you would hopefully prioritize and make some time for treating your depression. That's hugely important. And that is as much for you as it is for your son. Your son needs you to be in treatment for your depression. So please, quickly, and before I address anything else that you raised out of all of those issues, get in treatment for your depression. As for your mother, you are not required to spend five seconds with a toxic, abusive, gaslighting nutbag. Period. The end doesn't matter if they are your mom or your dad or anybody else. You can get out there as Armstead Mountpin says and find your logical family. You are not welded to or chained to your biological family for the rest of your life. You don't owe your mother anything. So lay down the law with your mom. I think maybe she deserves that. You saying – the judgment ends, the recrimination ends, the bullshit ends, the sh- taking dumps on me ends, and you need to take responsibility for X, Y, or Z from the past and stop pretending that what was or is wasn't or isn't. And then you can have a relationship with your grandson and perhaps with me, but not until. And maybe in the letter you mention, and I think it should be a letter and perhaps handwritten, you mention to your mother that you're in treatment for depression and you suggest that your mother get in treatment for her issues.
3: Hey Dan, 33-year-old gay guy. So I came out in my 30s. My parents, deep religious uh, in the heart of Texas, threw a fit. But I have a house. I have a job. I don't live with them. All they do is send me, you know, debunked articles from NAFT and other things like that and how it's a choice. But that's not what I'm calling about. I have a boyfriend that lives, about an hour and 15 minutes out, and we love each other and we see each other. He still lives with his parents while he had to move back in with his parents anyways, after college. Anyways, they've invited me to Thanksgiving and Christmas, which I think is very heartwarming, and it means a lot to me. But his dad is a rampant homophobe. His dad does not like me. His dad avoids me, I'm, and that's fine. I'm a bag of nails. I don't care. But his dad is also physically abusive. And has been physically abusive to my boyfriend. He's beat up my boyfriend. I've had to go at 12 at night, hit the road, drive an hour to console my boyfriend. And I'll do that in a heartbeat. I love him to death. And as much as I want to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with him, uh, my boyfriend's reassured me, and he said that his mom's fine with and all this. But I don't want to go there, leave, and having stirred the pot, his dad hit him. I don't know if he will, but... I don't want that. I mean, I don't hate his dad. His dad's an idiot. And his dad's close minded and used to be an alcoholic, and he's trying to get over that. But at the same time, I don't want to cause grief for my boyfriend. And I don't know if my boyfriend's telling me, oh, it's okay, and the mom's telling me, oh, it's okay, but she's been abused by him too, just because they want me around, but I want him to have a good Christmas. And I want to have a good Christmas with him but I don't want it to blow up a house. It's not going to affect me, only if it affects him. If his dad like, comes at me, I don't care. Like I'm used to this bullshit. I grew up in bigotry. I can take it, but I don't know what to do with him. I want to say yes, but not if it hurts him.
0: I don't understand why you would want to go to your boyfriend's parents' house for Christmas. I don't understand why your boyfriend would want you to come to his abusive father's house for Christmas. I don't understand why your boyfriend lives with his abusive father and his sounds very codependent, if I may borrow that buzzword, mom. Uh, If you love him as much as you say that you do, I don't understand why he's not living with you. All that said, if you want to have a good Thanksgiving and a good Christmas and your best option is Thanksgiving and Christmas with this abusive homophobic psychopath. My suggestion would be if you're worried that your boyfriend may be abused or beaten in the wake of your visit, because it will so crank up his abusive asshole, homophobic formerly alcoholic dad, then maybe you go to Thanksgiving and your boyfriend comes home with you that night. Maybe you don't spend the night there. Maybe you don't leave after dinner. Maybe he goes home with you at Thanksgiving or Christmas or Better yet, maybe you guys have your own Thanksgiving, just the two of you, and your own Christmas, just the two of you, away from your abusive asshole family and away from his abusive asshole family, and you begin to build. I'm going to quote Armistead Maupin again, your logical family. We are not obligated to head home to abusive parents or relatives. We are not obligated to put up with that shit just because the calendar is telling us, that it's Thanksgiving or December 25th. I know a lot of people out there have this terror of not doing some Norman Rockwell shit or some Courier and Ives shit around Thanksgiving and Christmas, that they're going to be losers or they're going to feel depressed or alone or isolated or cut off from their family if they don't live up to some goddamn car commercial image of Christmas on that particular day. And I am here from your future to tell you that it really ain't that bad. I have spent Christmases and Thanksgivings alone. Now, not because my family was awful, but because I was away. There was a time when I was very poor. I was living in Europe or living at the other side on the other side of the country. And I had nowhere to go and nothing to do. And I was fine. It's actually kind of an interesting way to spend Christmas, to step outside of it, to – and I speak to all my fellow Christians out there, cultural and otherwise, to pretend to be Jewish for a day is actually kind of awesome. Woody Allen movies. They're not just for the Jews anymore. And not just Woody Allen movies. There are other movies. There's, you know, not all Woody Allen movies are not good. Even I am tired of watching 60-year-old men make out with 25-year-old actresses. There's Netflix. And there's other shit at the multiplex on Christmas Day besides Woody Allen. There's something about heading to a Chinese restaurant in a big city on Christmas Day, even alone, and just eating with the Jews. It ain't that bad. It's actually kind of existentially interesting, not existentially depressing, to be outside the commercial, consumerist, familial maelstrom that typically characterizes Christmas. That you can be a conscientious objector or even an exile from it for a year or two and not be destroyed by that. And in that time you can cast around where the people that you need to pull into your life and pull into your orbit that you might enjoy spending a subsequent Christmas with, as opposed to the shit bags that the culture or your faith tradition or your guilt tripping extended family tells you you must spend your Christmases with. It ain't true.
1: Hello, Dan. By now you may or may not have heard that the Mormon church has just announced a new policy that stipulates that children of same-sex couples may not be blessed in the church and may not be baptized until they've reached the age of 18 and are willing to quote disavow any acceptance of their parents' lifestyle and receive a per- approval from the first presidency or highest governing body of the church. I'm sure you'll want to look into this and, uh, thoroughly smack it down as uh, terrible, damaging, hateful, unnecessary, and just the worst. Um, As a Mormon myself, I am incredibly ashamed of this policy and cannot believe that they would go to these lengths. Furthermore, they've recently, at the same time, amended the definition of apostasy, for which one can be excommunicated, to include explicitly that the uh, for individuals who have entered into same-gender marriages. The policy is just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, um, if you're the child of a rapist, a murderer, a uh, money launderer, you, your kids can get baptized, but if your parents happen to be gay, you can't. Um, and it's the worst. So just want to formally vo- voice my thoughts as a Mormon that this is... Not good.
0: Joining me to help answer this question, Ken Jennings, Jeopardy! Champ, author of numerous books and semi-professional Twitterer, Kindly consented to come in to take some time off of your duties as one of the Twelve Apostles, as a member in good standing of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles.
5: Yeah, you know, because in addition, I am the chief Mormon correspondent for the Dan Savage
0: podcast. (laughs) I believe you're the chief Mormon correspondent for Twitter.
5: (laughs) I don't know. I can't be the only one on Twitter. There's a lot of of Mormons out there, a lot of Mormons having kids. But no, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me back.
0: So – you speak for the Mormon Church. <laughs> I
5: should, <laughs> I should preface this by saying I do not represent the Mormon Church officially in any way. Are you going to get in I, trouble for coming? I Sunday school last week. Are so you going to
0: get in trouble for coming on a podcast hosted by a notorious faith bashing faggot?
5: No, I, I don't think so. The funny thing is that, uh, you know, I've heard from the highest levels of the Mormon church that it's okay to have a diversity of, of opinions about gay marriage, for example, and still be a Mormon in good standing. Um, and that's why I think this policy was so shocking to a lot of people, because it turns out, there's a group of people that cannot have a diversity of opinions about gay marriage, and that's children of gay partnerships, they have to specifically disavow their parents, their own family. Yeah, like, to
0: condemn their parents.
5: Disavow. Like a, that's like a mission impossible.
0: What does disavow mean as supposed to condemn?
5: Yeah, I don't even know. It, 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 remi- it makes me think of Mission Impossible where you mm-hmm. know, they're going to disavow all knowledge of your actions and leave you in a fictional uh, quasi-Soviet country. You know? Right. Uh, I think the language comes from – maybe this is a little inside baseball, but it comes from the church's history of polygamy. You know, people – I think outsiders don't tend to understand how much of Mormon boundary maintenance is still a remnant of polygamy because for, for a century or more, those were the people who were uh, sort of testing the boundaries of what was more, those were our heretics, the fundamentalists out in the desert with, mm-hmm. with multiple wives. So I think what happened here is that all the language that the church has used for, you know, to, to separate themselves from polygamous marriages just got rolled over. And I think from what I have seen on the show, Sister Wives, <laughs> kids, in, kids in polygamous contents who want to become mainstream Mormons also have to disavow the practice of polygamy. I think that's
0: where the language is coming from here, but it just seems crazy to apply But they had to disavow their parents particularly, specifically. What was so shocking reading this, it was like saying to an 18-year-old kid who maybe, you know, have Mormon grandparents or from a Mormon faith tradition whose same-sex parents may have been Mormon or maybe the child of someone who'd been in an opposite-sex marriage that they were sort of hustled into early in life when they wanted to be right with God and they divorced and, and came out as they were gay. And that kid may want to be Mormon like Grandma and Dad was before he came out as gay. Yeah. And they're saying to him, Oh, you can when you're 18, so long as you take a shit on your parents. It's important to realize these are real people. Like it might sound crazy to think, like, well, what gay
5: kid is going to want to be baptized a Mormon? But no, these are these are real people. Like you say, you know, a lot of a lot of Mormons were in uh, you know marriages to straight people, had kids, and now they're not. And. Uh, the policy was clarified, like a week later, to say this only applies to the kids who are uh, for whom the gay parent is in the cust- the custodial parent. You know. Oh, that um, makes it better. It makes it very slightly Please, better. You,
0: you don't have to take a, you have to take a shit on the parents who raised you. Right. As long as you're not living oh, with them. R- uh, that that actually kind of makes We're only talking about custodial gay parents. We're only asking kids who lived with 20, who were taken care of around the clock. By gay, by a gay couple, only those kids have to take a shit on their parents.
5: And think about this. It's only the ones who are actually in some kind of partnership, you know, ones who are cohabitating or married, you know. So as long as your, your gay dad is off, you know, catting around being as promiscuous as he wants, you can still get baptized. But the second he moves in with Uncle Larry... And makes a commitment. Yes. That's apparently more problematic for the church, which is sort of a crazy side
0: effect of this kind of culture war. Work. So you don't agree with this new statement?
5: You know, I should say I tend to view...
0: Are you allowed to disagree with it publicly? Oh, sure, sure. Okay.
5: Like, I tend to view the actions of Mormon leaders as charitably as I can. Like, to me, these are not – I mean, they're well-meaning, I would say, you know, uh, experienced men, but of a certain age and cultural background, obviously, which is going to inform this. But they're not scheming supervillains. I don't think this is malicious. They say they talk to God, right? Or they do talk to them or that this is all right from – Well, this in particular right was framed as – this was a policy in a handbook. Mm-hmm. And it changed a week later, so I think this does give them some wiggle room to say, uh, you know, this was not we on, just this was not on the red here. phone, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think a lot of Mormons do actually believe there's a red phone, and hey, as soon as the Salt Lake says something, uh, no matter how small the, the issue, and this is a big issue, you know.
0: But a lot of Catholics would believe that too. If it fell out of the Pope's ass, we have to applaud it.
5: Right. There's a, there's a saying among Mormons that you know. Catholics say the pope is infallible, and none of them believe it. Mormons have the opposite problem. We say the prophets are, are fallible, but we don't. We act as if it's not true. We don't believe it, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, there have been, you know, there's a lot, if you look back at Mormon history, there are many cases where policies like this have uh, come and gone. Have come and gone. You know, Mormons weren't baptizing, uh, or ordaining black people to the priesthood as late as 1978. Um, you know, a decade after everybody else had. Uh, I figured that. It's the civil rights out. But,
0: Decades after in some cases. Right.
5: Uh, the, the Mormon culture, because of the age of the leadership, tends to lag behind the rest of the culture. But you're a believer. It's it's uh, It's brought me – in my life, I feel like it's something that's my faith tradition that I was raised in. It's brought me closer to God, makes me a better person. Um, and that's why I find stuff like this just heartbreaking mm-hmm. and bewildering.
0: You're a super smart guy though, and I'm not as smart as you i would not I would wash out on uh, jeopardy in like eleven seconds say that, seconds. Say that and doesn't the the very fungibility of belief that you know they said this about African Americans once upon a time and this about polygamy once upon a time and, and the same thing in like Catholic land, we said this about the movement of the planets once upon a time, and we burn people right. at the stake for being right about the movement of the planets. It, The fact that religions are constantly editing themselves, adjusting, changing, morphing, changing with the times, the the fungibility of belief, its malleability to me points to its fundamental bedrock bullshittery. Right. that, That we're just making this shit up and leaders of various faith traditions and churches to amass power are getting away with what they can and processing a lot of their, I think, sexual psychosis through the exercise of these powers and I think that's part of what's going on here. And me, I, I run that all through my head and I'm like, all right, bye religion. Have fun, everybody who's still religious. You run that all through your head and it brought you closer to God. How did that work? Well,
5: I mean you're far from the only one. I mean there's, there's this whole movement now of people who have sort of realized you know, secular life is working just fine. You know, We don't need whatever religion gave us in the 15th century. And I totally get that. If I was raised in that kind of a background, I I would. I'm. I'm a very sort of skeptical, rationalistic person. By you are. You're an empiricist. Yes, I don't believe in the Loch Ness monster or crystals. But you believe in
0: invisible friends and angels.
5: (laughs) Yes. See, that's the thing. We uh, people tend to carve out whatever their own faith tradition was, and it's because of the uh, you know the experiences I had growing up that made me feel, for whatever reason, even if I can't defend it rationally. This is something good. This is something that made me part of who I am. But
0: so did Snow White. So did Mickey Mouse. <laughs> right. and you don't have to believe that Snow White and Mickey Mouse are real people who live in a magic palace in the sky.
5: Well, I don't know. I mean stories are stories. Like, you know, some of the most beautiful stories aren't true, you know, and I'm not going to – And
0: I'm da- I'm actually down with that. You know, I say to people, uh, you know, I actually sometimes – I have the Bible in my living room. I sometimes pick it up and flip through and read a little bit of it. There are great moral truths in there and some like shocking bullshit and some <laughs> weird – Everything, But, the, uh, you know, you can see in, this, in, in the, these texts and these stories that we told ourselves, that hum- humans have told ourselves over the centuries of millennia, you can see this, I think, struggling toward do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think it's this great sort of grasping and clawing until in the Christian Bible you get to the golden rule and it was hard to get there and then a lot of blood was spilt along the way. And I, can, and I can recognize the value of it without having to be invested in the truth of it.
5: Yeah, I see a lot of that in my own tradition as well. You know, there's some arc of bending toward truth. And, uh, and to me, yeah, I, I hap- I'm very happy to admit that I've seen my own faith tradition and many others make mistakes. And, you know, obviously, you know, God is not speaking with them as directly as many Mormons would like to think. He's letting people make their own mistakes if we, if we stipulate that he actually exists and is watching over us, you know. He lets us make our mistakes and uh, for whatever – for reasons of his own. So you think this is a mistake? I think this is not going to be around. Uh, t- I mean this is a generational change that's happening and you can't stop a title. It just doesn't, it just doesn't strike me as the way – the fact that it affects children I think is what's really
0: – You're punishing children being hard on because a lot of who their words. parents are. Absolutely. And, and what's crazy to me is you're, you're punishing children who have parents who are honest about who they are.
5: And Jesus is on the record about how he treats children. And that's not usually it.
0: <laughs> He's, he
5: suffers them to come unto him. He says if anybody is mean to a child, you might as well put a millstone around his neck and dump him in the sea. You know, he, Jesus takes a pretty hard line on mistreating kids. And I think even for Mormons who are normally culturally conservative, um, this kind of policy really makes you take a long look.
0: Do you think the Mormon church will come around someday on marriage equality, on same-sex marriage, on gay people?
5: I think they will, and maybe this is wishful thinking on my part, because of course, I think that God agrees with me on all points, you know, including the fact that the gay families I know are, are you know fundamentally doing the same stuff as the straight families I know and uh, deserve the same dignity and respect um, but I think there's been such a generational change in America I saw a survey where almost half of all evangelical kids under thirty or something were now in favor of gay marriage being legal, you know. And Mormons are often to the left of evangelicals on social issues. You know, this is this change is coming to the Mormon church as well. Uh, and I think it's going to be sooner Probably, rather than but later.
0: But it's a messy cacophonous process in Mormon land. The support of Prop 8, the blowback from Prop 8 that the Mormon church suffered, the poetic justice of marriage equality coming to Utah as a direct result of the Supreme Court's ruling on the Prop 8 case. That was <laughs> delicious. I have to say, a little Schadenfreude there. That was that was fun to watch. I don't blame you, Dan. Marriage equality, same-sex couples marrying in Utah is a direct consequence of the Mormon Church's actions in Cali- to prevent gay marriage in California.
5: I can't say I didn't feel the same thing, but uh, but there have been some thawing recently. You know, uh, a Mormon leader spoke out against Kim Davis and said this is a whack job. You know, they uh, they had they had worked for civil unions um, and uh, and civil rights protections for gays in Utah and in Salt Lake City.
0: Um, that's so that's also think... what made this move shocking, exactly, because so, there did seem to be this thaw. There did seem to be this effort on the part of the Mormon church to make a distinction between the way s- gay people should be treated in the civic space as opposed to the theological space. You know what? Everyone's entitled to their own theology. If who I am and how I live prevents me from being a member of your church, okay, you, I can you, live you with You seem that. okay with that. Man. I'm totally fine with that. I actually <laughs> joked on – I have some literature for you. <laughs> I joked on my blog that you know the Mormon church refusing to baptize the kids of gay parents until they're 18, I just – my reaction was – Kids with straight parents should be so lucky (laughs) (laughs) to not be sucked into a church, whether it's Catholic or Mormon or anything. Like churches grab them young, so that even when people grow up to be smart empiricists, they still believe. That maybe that should be the
5: policy. You know, that's that's one reaction. Um, I don't think the reaction should be, uh, and I I think I probably saw you linking to something similar. Now's the time for uh, Mormons with a conscience to get out. You know. that's not my fundamental
0: urge here because I feel like – I didn't say Mormons of the conscious have to get out. No, but you, you, my mom uh, stayed in the Catholic Church despite disagreeing with the Catholic Church about everything because it was her church and she was going to change it just right. by sitting there. Exactly. So I respect Mormons who stay. I was just – I saw you post a link. You I was know, linking to if people you who – want to get out of the church, here's how you do it. Who were leaving, right. people who were leaving. And, and, and thousands have. And thousands have. And my point with those things is this is what churches, particularly in the West, particularly in the United States, are, are – coming to face and are a little shocked by that they used to be able to indulge in really rabid anti-queer bigotry, homophobia, transphobia, and the only people that they were hurting were queer people. And now when they go in for rabid homophobia and transphobia, they're hurting themselves too. And that's a new experience for evangelical churches that are watching young people walk away because when you force them to choose between their friends and Tony Perkins, (laughs) They're going to choose their friends, and the same thing is happening in the Mormon Church, which places such emphasis on family and children. And you're saying to Mormon parents, "Well, you have to choose the church or your own kids that we've told you are the most important things in your lives." And Mormon parents are going, "My kids,
5: yeah, absolutely, or my conscience." You know, like I don't think this is how Jesus would act. You know, Um, and but yeah, as you said, I would like to. I would. I don't want to see a version of the Mormon Church where everybody like me who has qualms about this has left. You know, that would that would scare me more.
0: I don't want to um, say that either. We don't want to pigeonhole you as just a Mormon guest expert. So we're going to actually keep you around for another question. That oh, has wow.
5: nothing to do with your faith tradition. I'm honored. You get non-Mormon questions sometimes. We, I do get non This That's is crazy. not actually
0: a, a Mormon uh, whole sex whole podcast advice podcast.
5: <laughs> sex Advice for Gay Mormons. It's a very niche podcast you do, Dan. But it's really popular. <laughs> Weirdly popular. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm just
6: calling with a question. I was wondering how I can sync my period to my girlfriend. We used to be somewhat synced, but it seems like as our relationship goes on, we're moving further apart and it's very inconvenient. So I haven't really found a lot on the internet about this. I would really appreciate your advice or maybe the advice of some medical specialist you might know.
0: Okay, Ken, we don't have a medical expert. We have you, Jeopardy champ. How do these women resync up their periods? Their periods used to be in sync and that was very convenient. Now they're out of sync and that's inconvenient presumably for sex. So and, and, for, and for
5: other reasons, I would assume. I mean, you are, Yeah, I don't know what those other reasons like. Be are. happy at the same time, be cranky at the same
0: time. It's more efficient. Wouldn't you want if you were I would you think I think you'd want the crankiness spaced apart. How explosive could it be if you're both equally cranky at the same time? If one of you is cranky and the other is able right. to absorb it and is cool and can calm that one down, but if you're both cranky together, you're going to burned down schools it must something. have
5: worked though they must have had some system they stayed away from each other you
0: know um, but that's not the question ken how do they reset their resect, periods yes
5: luckily this is my other area of expertise mormon doctrine and uh lesbian, lesbian estrogen <laughs> <What>? <laughs> that's my business.
0: all right <laughs> knock it out of the park show us what you got
5: uh, well from what i've heard anecdotally uh periods tend to sync together over time like uh, i'm not sure what's what they're doing what's wrong. Happening in this case. It's making them go up, I mean, it happens in offices, for example, isn't that right? Yeah, it happens in dorms, know, crowded elevators, maybe. <laughs> I don't, I have no idea.
0: Mormon temples, <laughs> maybe.
5: I, I don't think there's been any you know academic work done on that. Um, so they need to move into a dorm or an office. There must be some way you could do it, you know, some it's ex- more exposure to. I mean, I don't know, this should be rubbing sweat on each other it's, it's in all the fluids right <laughs> the pheromones yeah there's got to be pheromones they gotta start sniffing thing.
0: each other's armpits every night once a day they just got to like
5: inhale deeply and that'll do the trick i assumed they were i don't know much about lesbians i assumed they were doing that i guess
0: yeah they do tend to jam their noses into various crevices that's know. their lesbian I don't specialty know. but that
5: it seems like that kind of thing would work it must be mediated by pheromones or something right it's got to be in the air yeah um I'm just at this point I'm just spitballing. But you would
0: think lesbians like fuck the pheromones. They're going down on each other right, all like, the time. They're they they're, they're lapping up each other's vaginal secretions. Would they have to rely on sweat and pheromones to think of wouldn't that be like sweat and pheromones on steroids times a thousand? Hopefully. Yeah, they're sharing fluids in a way that most
5: office mates are not.
0: <laughs> hopefully. One would hope. March, what did you glaze these donuts with? <laughs> um, yeah, wow. Well, I hope that was helpful caller. Any last words? Any final I feel like we haven't been helpful at all. Sometimes we just have to acknowledge what we cannot know. That's my approach to faith. Life is a rich tapestry. Yeah, and there are things we cannot know, like whether there's a higher power or a God. So 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 don't pretend to know. But here we just – you and I just sat here pretending to know – What to tell these women in the same way that many people of faith pretend to know that which they cannot know. But
5: you could have had some lesbian endocrinologist on here, you know. I could have,
0: but I thought it would be more fun to embarrass you. To
5: randomly recruit
0: someone off the street. (laughs) (laughs) You're a Jeopardy champ. I thought Jeopardy champs knew everything. That's the point. It's sort of a broad generalist kind of wealth of knowledge. Can you imagine if that was like
5: uh, the Daily Double category? Category, Ken, is uh, lesbian endocrinology. How much do you want to wager?
0: <laughs> How much would you wait? Well, now we know. Now we know. Like, Zero. I'm, I'm, That's I'm, where I'm you hopeless. Would... I'm hopeless at this stuff. Well, we hope we helped caller. All right. We actually stopped recording there for a second because we were going to say goodbye to you and wrap you out, as they say in Hollywood, in the phone business, when uh, one of the tech-savvy at-risk youth, who's actually a, a lady with lady parts... Gave us the answer. Weird, I know. Why would you ask a woman a question? That I could ask Ken Jennings, Jeopardy <laughs> champ. That, that, that She said that you know you could just tell these two lesbos to get on the, p- the pill whether they right. need it or not because right. the pill will resync your periods because you're on the pill. It prevents you from menstruating. You, you take the pill every day but there's a, a few days, a week when you're taking it when it's basically just a placebo. A placebo. There's nothing in it so that you can have your periods, so that you menstruate. And so, lesbians, if you got on the pill together, it would sink your period right up. Who I should knew? have known
5: that. I should have known that. My wife actually has more regular periods when she's on the pill.
0: So I should have I, known it too. I just read *The Birth of the Pill* uh, by Jonathan I. Last week's guest. Ga- I read that book, which is all about. There's a whole section about why they designed a pill where women menstruated once. A
5: week, it's lower stakes for us as, as people who don't menstruate. You know, like this. This is not top of mind information for yeah, us. We're apparently. penis havers. To we our, don't
0: have to think about. To this. our shame. But you sleep with women. You should have known those. I,
5: I, I feel like I should have known that more than you should have One
0: lived. caveat. There one are th-
5: tampons in my house and maybe not in yours.
0: Actually, no. There are <laughs> none in my house unless unless they use them for insulation and we haven't torn that wall out yet and discovered that there were the surplus tampons used tampons. as insulation. But there's actually one thing that they need to consider before they go on birth control if they're indeed going to take the d- advice of the tech heavy at-risk youth with the vagina, which is that uh, birth control pills, hormonal birth control pills, can change the type of person that you're attracted to. There are these studies that find that women are attracted when they are on hormonal birth control to slightly more feminine men, less sort of he-man, hairy-chested masculine guys. And when they go off the pill, they're attracted to more knuckle-draggy kind of bro types. So would this be true for for somebody who's gay or bi as well? I have no idea. I don't know if there's research. There's only one way to find out. Call her. You and your (laughs) girlfriend get on the pill. And if you don't want to fuck your girlfriend anymore... You are evidence of this phenomenon. Ken Jennings, Jeopardy Champ, author of numerous books. You just had a new one come out recently, right? Yeah, I'm writing these Junior Genius
5: books for kids now.
0: So. Where you tell them how to be smart, empiricists. Amazing
5: facts about dinosaurs and whatnot.
0: What's the title of these books? Where the can j- they find them?
5: The Junior Genius Guide's on sale everywhere.
0: Find books are sold. Also, follow Ken on Twitter at Ken Jennings. At Ken Jennings. Always amusing. Thank you so much for coming in. Please come back next time the Mormon Church does something stupid.
5: This is the only time we ever get to hang out. Like, I don't want to say it's good. When the Mormon church does something terrible to LGBT people. But at least we get to hang out, Dan.
0: Maybe that's the Mormon church's intent. They just want you and I to
5: come together. Maybe God's working through us.
6: Hi, Dan.
7: I am a married, heterosexual, grown-ass woman living in the Pacific Northwest. My question for you doesn't relate to sex much as relationships. Myself and my two siblings have had a tumultuous, to say the least, relationship with our stepfather for over 20 years. He is cold, calculating, often cruel. My husband was the first one to use the word abusive, and I don't think he's wrong, but feel dramatic for saying so. He's always passive aggressive and often downright jaw droppingly rude, particularly to my elder sister who has mental disabilities. He put down my mother and all my siblings without hesitation or remorse and often publicly. But he's also capable of extreme generosity, and for many of the most recent years, I was his advocate, telling my siblings and supporting my mother, saying, he's just a weirdo, don't take it personally, he's not a sociopath, he's just a little aspergers One of my deepest regrets is when my mom asked if I thought she chose him over her children, I said no, when I should have said yes. A couple of years ago, I had a baby and quit my job, and he generously offered to hire me and my marketing skill set to work for his company doing freelance work from home. On a professional level, we always got along and keep it well professional. Shortly after my baby was born, however, following a family trip that proved to be out of my PTSD childhood nightmares, won't go into details, but it was bad, my husband told me he wouldn't tolerate his behavior, and we started to pull back from our position as his advocate. He drew a line in the sand and basically said he wouldn't allow for him to treat us all, particularly me and our child, the way that he does the rest of the family. We decided as our own family unit to quietly step away and keep him at least at, uh, at an arm's length. We discreetly cut off any financial strings or favors owed him in an effort to establish new boundaries but also not cause war in the family, save my job. It has lasted for a couple of months before an altercation between he and my family exploded. I had had enough and called my mother and told her that we were through. Well, fast forward a year and here we are. There have been a handful of ugly altercations since the whole thing played out Uh, A large part in our decision to move out of the state, but the tricky things that remain are that, one, my mother continues to pretend as though no lines in the sand were ever drawn. She has been heavily pressuring us to stay with them over Thanksgiving. To boot, I recently found out that after an altercation this summer, wherein he kicked my dog, and my husband got up and took the dog away, she told my siblings I was hurling insults at him because of old wounds. I found this revelation to be both offensive and disturbing as not only was that not at all how it went down, but it was an easy way to deflect a blame off him and onto me. And that's what stirs up the old wounds. Even at eight years old, I was to blame and he wasn't Two, I still work for him and I rely on the money. He's planning a party around Thanksgiving for his company that I am coordinating for him. So he's flying me back. My mother, my mother has been laying on the guilt to stay with them. I have the only grandchild and I don't know what to do. I'm already feeling really anxious about it, but is it odd for him to fly me back for a work function and not stay at their house? Is it so much to ask that we maintain a professional relationship and not an intimately personal one? Or was that the idea always out the window because the water was already muddy? Is it my fault for being in this position because I don't want to quit the job because I need the money? Bottom line, I feel he is an abusive person. I feel my mother is trapped in an abusive relationship, and she won't take her fingers out of her ears or her blindfold off. But is it worth causing war? I don't want to lose my mom, but a big part of me feels like she already didn't pick me anyway.
6: Help.
0: Quit that fucking job. Stop working with and for your abusive, nutty, assholey stepfather. That's really the last hook that he has in you and it sounds like he and your mother are pretty successfully manipulating you with that hook. Get your fucking resume together. There are other freelance gigs out there that you could land even in the absence of those freelance gigs. What do you need more? The money that you're making working with this asshole, working for this asshole or the freedom from this asshole which has more value to you? I would, if I were you, choose the latter. Whatever you have to give up. That's an expensive cell phone plan. Uh, Your cable package. Whatever you have to cut out of your life financially, whatever trims you have to make to get yourself to a place where you can cut this guy out of your life, make those cuts. Totally fucking worth it. And then you can make a decision about whether or not you want to see your mom And the rest of your family, including this asshole, at Thanksgiving or Christmas without having to weigh it against your economic self-interest, which is really what's putting you in this horrifying position. I would not go home if I were you. Your family, you, your husband, your kid, wherever it is that you are now in the state that you fled to to get away from these people, you can have your own Thanksgiving dinner. You can have Thanksgiving dinners with friends. You can establish your own household, and your own traditions. And you can say to mom, if she wants to drop in, we don't have a guest room though, make that clear. If they want to drop in, they can drop in. But you are not going to stay with them ever again, period, the end. Because look what happens when you guys hang out. Look at that fucking family vacation. And whose genius idea was that? When you have toxic, shitty family members who – Whatever other good qualities they have, you say that he can be very generous. You say that he can be very kind, but then he has these, these blowups and these eruptions. You don't go on cruises with those people. You don't rent a cabin in the woods to stay with those people. You only see those people under circumstances where you can get the fuck away from them so that if things begin to go south, it's, uh, well, here's my hat. Here's my coat. See you next year, maybe. And you're out the fucking door. So, yeah, you're not going to go on vacations with your stepfather ever again. You're also not going to stay at your mother's house with your stepfather ever again. Very the end. And get that fucking resume together and find a new freelance gig. Holy crap. And P.S., a man who'll kick your dog in a fit of rage will kick your kid in a fit of rage. So, yeah, I wouldn't go home for Thanksgiving and stay with the nutbag.
8: Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 31-year-old straight male living in the Northwest. I had a question regarding my family. I was hoping you could help me uh, resolve it. So about eight years ago, my younger sister, uh, who's very dear to me, she was in a relationship with a guy, uh, all of us really liked him. everybody in my family, uh, until I found out that he'd been hitting her Uh didn't happen often. It happened a couple times, uh, usually under the influence of alcohol. But it was still pretty devastating. And uh, like a idiot macho, overprotective big brother, I confronted him and I scared him bad enough that he left her and he left town. He joined the navy and uh, disappeared out of our lives for a number of years. Um, my sister eventually told our parents about the abuse. Uh, which they promptly denied, um I don't know why exactly, but my mother, in particular, just for years didn't consent that this happened, she wouldn't accept it, even though I was telling her, and my sister was telling her, and we, we told her over and over she liked this boyfriend so much she wouldn't accept it, so cut to uh last year, I uh, called my parents up, and uh you know just for a routine chat and she tells me that the guy's back in town and that he and my sister have been dating again. And not only that, they've been dating for about a year and a half at this point, Um, which means they've been hiding from me and straight up lying to me about it. Um, And it's, it's been frustrating for me. It's really kind of put a strain um, because every time I, I, think about it or I try and talk to my mother about it. She tries to blame my sister. She says, Oh, the, there was alcohol involved. He was, they were drunk. She can be very difficult. Stuff like that. And it just makes me feel like she's she's so eager to push my sister into a relationship that she's not thinking about the possible repercussions. So basically I I was looking for advice on just how to kind of reconcile this. It's been hurting my relationship with my family. I live in a different state, so it's difficult to to communicate with them on a frequent basis. And especially when every time we talk on the phone, it devolves into an argument. My sister has kind of stopped talking to me at all. uh, Not because she's mad. I think she's more embarrassed and I'm embarrassed because I feel like I should be respecting her decision, but it's, it's very difficult. So in your opinion, do people in these abusive relationships, can they, Change. I tend to be of the opinion that, you know, maybe they do change, but he kind of blew his chance. You know, Uh, he's going to have to prove that he's a good guy with someone else. Uh, But that, is that just me? Am I crazy? Help me out.
0: You need to separate your mother's shit from your sister's choices, right? Your mother, when you intervened in the past and right fucking on, big brother coming through for the little sister in the abusive relationship reading that guy the riot act that conversation that riot act reading uh being the the catalyst the ending the relationship uh, convincing him he needed to get the fuck out of town and join the navy and go sort himself out your you know red cape white knight shit when your sister was younger when they were dating when you discovered that this relationship at that time was abusive right fucking on well done good for you big brother there was your and your mother's bullshit that that she liked this guy. So of course she doesn't think he could be capable of being abusive. That could be generational. That could just be delusional. A lot of abusers are terribly, terribly charismatic. Otherwise people wouldn't hang out with them long enough to be abused and often wouldn't stay with them in the hopes that, They'll get over the abusive shit, right? A lot of people say he's wonderful or she's wonderful. Women can be abusive too. Almost all the time except for these times and if I can only, you know, set all the dials correctly, maybe he will or she will be wonderful all of the time. And that is the abuser's con, right? It's how they manipulate people into staying so that they can victimize them. So perhaps that isn't what's informed your mother's denial. He's so charming. She couldn't imagine that he would be capable of this. And your mother, in kind of scalding act of betrayal, believed him or believed in him more than she believed her own children. So that's awful and that's shit. Now there's your sister. This guy went away. The relationship ended. He went away. He came back years later potentially a changed man. You don't live there. You don't know. You have to go to your sister. You have to talk to your sister and say, if you want to be with this guy, that's your choice. You have to allow for change being possible. And you do allow for change being possible. You say he could change, but that he blew his chance with your sister and that he will have to prove that he's changed with some new partner. But that's not your choice to make. That's your sister's choice to make. So if every time you get on your phone with your sister – Now that you know that she's dating him again, you blow up at her or you order her to break up with this guy or you communicate to her that that's the only outcome that you will accept. She's not going to communicate with you about this relationship and you need her to communicate with you about this relationship. She needs you more than anybody else in her life potentially to communicate with about this relationship because of the history of abuse in this relationship. Perhaps he has changed. Tell your sister that. Allow for it. Tell her you respect your choice to continue seeing him. I also think you should have a conversation with him, an accountability conversation where you hear him out about whether he's changed or not, and then go to your sister and say, I approve if indeed he has changed. And if indeed you want to be with him, you don't have to hide this from me. You don't have to lie to me about it. I approve. If, though, he begins to abuse you again, please talk to me. I will be there for you again, like I was there for you in the past. And I will be there for you while you're with him. If indeed he's changed and it is a good and healthy relationship now. And wherever he went, whatever he learned about himself in the Navy, on the high seas, whatever mental health counseling or therapy he got that helped him get a handle on his anger issues and his abuse shit. If all of that worked and he isn't abusive anymore, if he can handle his anger without violence and resolve conflict with you without violence. And it's a good and healthy relationship. I support it, but I support you over everything over all else. So if it isn't that, if this has been an act the last year and a half and six months from now or a year from now, he's abusing you again, know that you can come to me and I'm not going to say I told you so I'm going to help you again. Like I helped you before because I'm your big brother. But you've got to let your sister make her own choices and indeed people do change. And you have to recognize that part of what's fucking up your relationship with your family are your own control issues. You say he blew his chance with your sister as if that's your decision to make and it's not your decision to make. It's your sister's decision to make. Do your level best. Do your due diligence to assess or ascertain that the relationship is not now abusive And if it isn't, you got to give it your blessing. And if it is, stand your fucking ground. But you've got to do now what that boyfriend was incapable of doing before and maybe capable of doing now. You have to respect your sister. We're going to take a quick break from talking about your horrible family members to talk to one of my horrible family members. Joining me by (laughs) phone, my older brother, Billy, who I actually just wanted to have on to – Tell him I'm so sorry that a new study has come out finding, as reported it broadly, that straight people don't exist. New research says that all sexuality is fluid. and There's no such thing as straight men. And my brother Billy has identified as a straight man for, for so long, but he's going to have to let that go. So, Billy, I'm so Sorry.
9: Well, you know, straight white men are so invisible in this culture and so marginalized anyway. <laughs> well you I, um, I, so, wait, wait, I think you I can I think, can, can
0: I think I can I think I can bear it. You can't <laughs> marginalize what doesn't exist according to studies. I'm just gonna read a little quote here. We've always recognized mostly straight women, that is women who are mostly straight, but if the right woman comes along, maybe she'll try it out. We used to think that was only a female phenomenon. And here's how they determined that it wasn't just a female phenomenon, but men too. So there's no such thing as straight men. We show straight men a picture of a woman masturbating and they respond just like a straight guy. But then you also show them a guy masturbating and their eyes dilate a little bit. So we're actually able to show physiologically that all guys are not either gay, straight or bi. So Billy, your dilating eyes gave you away.
9: Um, you know, it's, it's amazing how you can narrow things down physiologically. Like there's no other thing that can make your eyes dilate other than arousal. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not in this guy's economic field, so I can't speak to it, but it sounds like BS to me. Oh, Fred, I can swear on this, right? It sounds like total, utter fucking bullshit to me.
0: You're just in denial. This is the first phase, Bill. You're in denial of, of letting go of your heterosexuality.
9: You know, living in the house on lunch, I would occasionally come home and, and find you and Peter watching a video that at first I thought was some kind of equestrian event, <laughs> and then turned out to be pornography. And my eyes probably dilated, but it was from revulsion panic, terror. and lack of interest. And like, ah, ick, my brother, ick, ah, let me out of here. It, I haven't um, read the whole
0: study yet, but it does seem weird that they're tying uh, their their conclusions to this minor physiological phenomenon. You know, a guy's eyes might dilate when he sees a dude masturbating. You know, I can gin up all sorts of evolutionary biology explanations for that. We grew up in clumps of humans where if some guy was getting laid next to you who had a hard on that your odds of getting laid that night rose too, and that might instill arousal or dilate your fucking eyes. It would be much more interesting if you showed a guy, you know, a guy masturbating and it wasn't his eyes dilating, but his dick hardening was the phenomenon documented.
9: Right. And if you think about, uh, straight pornography, which I'm sure you do all the time constantly, um, you know, if, if straight pornography was not going to work on straight men, they would have to like pixelate all the dudes in it who are doing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work that way. So I think there's there's all sorts of weird visual stuff going on. But you know the idea again, your eyes dilate. People well, people have talked a lot over the years about how erotic arousal mimics other physiological functions like fear. You know the fight and flight response. There's all sorts of things that you know up your adrenaline, increase your blood flow, increase your heart
0: rate. So you're you're saying your you're saying you're not aroused by another dude masturbating. You're terrified
9: well, it depend, terrified would depend on the exact situation. Like, you know, it's on the L in the morning when I'm you know, on my way to work, yeah. <laughs> if it's on a video, it's like, okay, well, whatever. It happens on videos.
0: So, so you, um, but I, I, you I, you reject but, these what, what, conclusions. You you assert, I, you're going to assert publicly speak. that you are still straight, and straight is I a
9: am. Thing. I am 100% straight. And it's, it's not I a delusion.
0: Without, it's not a delusion. No,
9: no, because you know what? Only I'm inside my head where I live, and uh, believe me, 100%. And you're, but so, what,
0: what interests me is, like,
9: what is the cultural impetus behind a study trying to argue that everyone's gender fluid is that an attempt uh, to not gender
0: fluid this is ar- arguing that everyone's sexuality is fluid that there's no there's no right. solid just fluid no, just, just, right. just just water no ice
9: right to which i say there's probably water and ice and also steam <laughs> you, know, <laughs> to torture any, the you know human sexuality can take all sorts of forms but the i mean what why would anyone want to argue that people don't get to like own who they are um Maybe the example of, you know, the uh, bisexual coming out as bisexual before coming out as gay thing, the, the evolution of that sort of sense of self-identity mm-hmm. is part of the conversation. But, you know, I would never think to tell a gay man or a lesbian that they're not really gay or lesbian, they're really fluid. And if they just met the right girl or boy, they would change their minds. Mm-hmm. So why would someone want to tell me if I just met the right guy, I would change my mind. It's, it's not, you know, people get to be who they are and we should stop BSing about that.
0: All right. So just to sum up, my older straight brother, Billy, is still my older straight brother, Billy.
9: You know, I worry about Eddie sometimes. (laughs) That that whole thing with guns and and uniforms, you know, that's got a subtext that I'm not really comfortable with.
0: Yeah. Or my brother, Eddie, your younger brother, my older brother, a cop. Yeah. And there is something kind of gay about cops. I've seen a lot of pornography. Notice this. The village people. Mm. There is not a professor. There's not a professor in there. The only thing I can be sure of going forward, though, is because (laughs) gender is fluid, sexuality is fluid, age is not fucking fluid. You will always be my older brother.
9: Thank God for small favors, by which I mean very small favors.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bill Savage, my older and still straight brother, despite what researchers are saying. Uh, you can read the article if you want to find out about this study by going to Broadly. It's a chunk of vice.com. The article is titled Straight People Don't Exist, New Research Says, by Diana Turji. And my brother says this is bullshit. Is this bullshit, Bill? That's bullshit. Okay. Thanks so much for coming on the phone. My pleasure. I hope all the listeners out there have a little
9: fun.
6: Hi. So I have a mother who is 70 years old. And she hasn't dated basically since my father died like 30 years ago. She did a little bit here and there, but not really anything came of it. I would love her as she gets older and I've moved far away
7: to find someone that she could spend the rest of her life with. But she's so negative about finding anyone. She says she doesn't want to date an old man, which doesn't make sense because I'm like, you're old. And then her
6: other thing that she says is old people don't fall in love. And that's only a young person thing. And that just breaks my heart that she thinks that. I don't know what to do. I wish she would find someone. Should I just stay out of it? Or should I try to get her in on the dating scene?
0: What you don't say in your call, and I think it's material, you don't say your mother is unhappy, single, single, I think you should stay the fuck out of it and leave your mother the fuck alone and let her make her own choices. It's entirely possible that a woman of your mother's generation really never wanted to be married in the first place or didn't ever have a chance earlier in her life to be single and on her own. And after your father passed away, as much as she may have loved him, and she was single and on her own, she may have discovered that this is how she really enjoyed living, That she liked the autonomy. She liked the peace and quiet. She liked having her own space that was all hers and only hers. But she can't tell you that because our culture pathologizes singlehood. It it tells us that people who don't have partners, don't have life partners, aren't in love with anyone, are losers. And I think it was especially true for older generations of women. It's held up that they were failures if they didn't have love and lovers and, and a man in their life. And maybe your mother doesn't feel that way, but you can't articulate it. And better you should just read that into your mother's actions than continue to browbeat your mother into doing something she clearly does not want to do. She doesn't want to date. Maybe what your mother would really like to say to you is, I prefer to be alone. But she doesn't want you to think she's a damaged person who would rather be alone. So she says, old people don't fall in love. Or I don't want to date anybody who would date me. I don't want to date an old man. And those excuses get her off the hook because then her being alone isn't her fault. It's the fault of elderly people don't fall in love, which is not true. Or it's the fault of you know the men that are t- to her tastes, 19-year-olds presumably, aren't into her type. But it absolves her. And she can sidestep the stigma of choosing to be alone, preferring to be alone. If I were in your shoes, I would stop browbeating my mother about this. And I would allow for the possibility that she is happier single, as that is the choice that she has consistently made for three decades. All right? Respect the choice your mother has made. Back the fuck off. Leave her alone. And you said it would be nice if she had someone in her life because you're moving away. And if that's what's informing this, you feel guilty because you're moving farther away or you're worried about your mother. There are other ways to make sure that your mother has companionship and is cared for and checked in on and looked after without having to saddle her with some man she has to take care of and milk and clean up after. Look around in the community where she lives for adult social services, for elderly social services, for elder daycare programs, where your mother can meet other people and who knows, maybe she'll fall in love with one of them, maybe lightning will strike, but where she can meet other people her own age who may be single or not, but that she can spend time with and that she can form relationships with and who can be there for her at those moments that you're worried about not being able to be there for her yourself. There's another way, there are other options besides somebody to fuck your 70-year-old mother, pardon me, somebody to date your 70-year-old mother. There are other options if what you're really concerned about is her solitude.
6: Hi, I am a 29-year-old woman on the East Coast, and I'm calling because my sister, who up until she was about 23 or so, had been dating men, is now dating a woman who is a wonderful, wonderful woman. And she has been introduced to all members of our family, uh, except for my grandmother, who lives out in Iowa and does not know that she is dating a woman. Because my mother is a little uncomfortable with it, I think. She doesn't say that she's really uncomfortable, with it, but I think she's uncomfortable. And she does not want my sister to tell my grandmother. However, my grandmother is coming for Christmas. And my sister has been dating this wonderful woman for two years now, at least. And we've been talking and going back and forth about it. My mother doesn't want my sister to tell her she says because my grandmother gets very bad anxiety. Um, she has a lot of trouble sleeping at night. She's 87 years old. And she worries what the revelation that her granddaughter is dating a woman will do to her. I think that she should tell her. I think she could probably handle it. But I'd love your input. And uh, i love any advice that you have for my sister on how to talk to our grandmother and uh,
0: also our mother. I'm doing the math in my head. And if grandma is 87 years old today, that means grandma was 47 years old in 1977, really at the height of the sexual revolution and at the height of the gay revolution in a way, the first wave of the gay revolution, gay liberation and the decade almost post Stonewall and Gay communities and Harvey Milk, grandma is not 87 years old in 1957. Grandma is 87 years old in 2015. So, grandma's been around. Grandma knows queer people exist and exist in families. Grandma is probably cognizant of the marriage equality movement and what happened at the fucking Supreme Court. So, it seems likely that your mother is underestimating her mother and how informed she might be or how capable she might be of absorbing this blow. Also, it occurs to me that if at 87, finding out she has a lesbian granddaughter pushes grandmother over the edge, if it takes her out, it's there are worse ways to go. We don't want your grandmother voting in 2016 anyway, potentially. So why not tell? I know that's a really dark Irish Catholic, awful thing to say. I hope your grandmother lives to be 387. Of course, nobody should ever die ever. But, you know, compared to... A long protracted battle with some debilitating illness, or being intubated, or hooked up to machines, or slowly succumbing to some painful cancer, dropping dead at the Christmas dinner table because your granddaughter's a lesbian seems like a humane way to put the old girl down. Also, speaking of mom, and I take that all back and I don't mean it and I apologize in advance. Pivoting quickly to mom, it's possible that. And, I, and I'm going to you know, make some assumptions about your mother's relationship with her mother. Grandmas sometimes do this where they're nothing but sweet and kind to their grandchildren, but they don't treat their actual children the same way. So if grandma has a problem with something a granddaughter is doing, like another lady, perhaps, she would never say that to the granddaughter, but she will rip in to her own child. She will tear your mother apart while being nothing but sweet To your sister's face. Maybe you should have a conversation with your mother about that. If that's what your mother is worried about, draw her out. Like, mom, what do you think grandma's going to do? How do you think she's going to react? If it's not going to kill her and that's not what you mean, is grandma just going to be shitty to you about it? Blame you about it? Is grandma going to condemn your parenting? Insist that I'm a lesbian or I'm dating a woman, I'm bi. Because you are a lousy mother, is she going to say that sort of shitty stuff to you? Because if she says that sort of shitty stuff to you, just tell her that she's full of it and wrong and laugh it off and invite her to bring it up with me to my face. I'll take that on. That doesn't help. If that doesn't mollify your mother, if this really is just your mother projecting her discomfort onto grandma, that is a thing sometimes that parents will do. They will pretend that they're fine with your queerness But they will say this relative and that relative and this relative. They couldn't handle it, so please don't come out to them. They're just projecting their discomfort onto others. And doing that thing where we underestimate old people, their capacity to love and accept. So maybe your mother's just underestimating her mother. There's only one way to find out if she's underestimating her mother, and that's for your sister to come out to her mother, to come out to grandma. And your sister can do this well in advance of Christmas. Your sister can go visit grandma and come out to her, casually herself so that mom isn't the one there who's on the hook, who has to pick up the pieces so that grandma can't turn to mom and blow up. That if there's any blowing up that needs to be done, grandma can get it out of the way before the potatoes are passed around the table or before your grandma passes at the table.
6: Hi Dan. I'm a 22 year old straight woman living in New York city. Um, my boyfriend and I have been together monogamously for about a year. We met in college, and we both graduated in May, and I stayed in upstate New York in my college town for a job, and he went back home to New England to live with his parents. Over the summer, he uh, was away um, for a temporary job out of state, and we almost broke up because every time I would go out with my roommates and my friends, he would take a fight with me because he wanted to keep me on the phone so I wouldn't talk to anybody else like, over stupid stuff, like how he didn't like my tattoo or something like that. Um, we, a few weeks ago, we had a serious, like, relationship evaluating talk and agreed not to be in constant communication, like texting all the time, and things have gotten a little better, but recently I moved to New York City for a new job, and he lives with his parents three hours away in New England, and he visits on the weekends usually, and we talk every day, but he's always hounding me to come visit him. Um, it's not that I don't want to visit him, but I just moved to, you know, New York City and I want to experience it. And, you know, living in New York City is expensive enough without having to pay for a train to Connecticut every other weekend, especially for a broke 20 something. And I'm not sure he understands the concept of paying bills and being financially independent. And honestly, I feel awkward going home with him and hanging out with his parents while I could be doing other things I actually enjoy here, like going out with my friends. He's kind of a homebody. He doesn't like to go out and do things as much as I like to. Um, the one time I have tried to take him out here with my friends, um, the night ended with us fighting because a guy bumped into me at a bar and he thought I was flirting with the guy. Uh, I mean, I do appreciate a little downtime, you know, going to his house and everything, but not as frequently as he would like, I suppose. I'm starting to feel like I'm being bullied or guilty to, and to visit him every other weekend to sit on his couch rather than feeling like I should go there because I want to. I can't help but think it's because he's bored at home all the time. And I keep thinking that if he gets a job soon, he'll be busier and have to work friends and he'll get that it's fun to go out every once in a while and give me a break from having to text him to reassure him every time I go out that I'm not talking to anybody else. I'm not sure if this is because I'm his first girlfriend or if he's insecure or because I took his virginity or what. The main kicker with all of this is We both already booked tickets to fly to my hometown for Thanksgiving with my very, very, very large family. I'm from the Midwest, and I've never taken a boyfriend home. And since I moved to the East Coast for college, I swore to myself I wouldn't take a guy home to my family unless I was serious about him. And up until recently, there was no doubt in my mind that my relationship with my boyfriend was long-term material. And part of me wants to just grin and bear it until he gets a job and a life. And part of me wants to be single and not have to worry about commuting to New England
4: every other weekend.
6: I do love him. and I know he's a good guy. But should I cut him loose? Should I wait for him to grow up? And I guess my biggest question is, should I take him home for Thanksgiving? It's Kind of a big deal for me. I don't don't really want to introduce him to my grandparents if I think he's a fuckboy. I don't know.
0: You are going to break up with this boy. Now. Before the end of this podcast, before we get to the outro music, you are going to break up with this guy. He is wrong for you and you are pinning your hopes on seemingly him getting a job and turning into an entirely different human being. That somehow getting a job and making some work friends and going out will convince him not to be a shut down, jealous, controlling asshole. Some guy bumps into you in a bar and he blows up at you because he thinks you're flirting with that guy. That's the end of the relationship, right? That's some green-eyed monster, sexist, jealous shit that disqualifies a guy from having a girlfriend, period. So it's over and you're not bringing him home. You're not interested in your grandparents. You should when you break up with him. You can if you feel guilty about it since you've already purchased tickets and he purchased himself a ticket to your hometown for Thanksgiving. You can tell him you will reimburse him for the cost of the airfare. And won't it be worth it, right? Think of the money you're going to save not having to schlep to Connecticut every other weekend to see him. So you can take some of that money you're going to save on those Connecticut trips that sound excruciating, particularly when you're running off to Connecticut to sit on a couch in his basement as opposed to being in the greatest city in the world running around at age 22 with your friends in New York. You're going to take some of that money and you're going to send it to him and you will be free of him and it will be a lovely, responsible parting gift and gesture on your part. And not a a necessary one. You actually don't have to pay him for the cost of that ticket if you don't want to or if you can't. All you have to tell him is he's not coming to your hometown for Thanksgiving. That he is disinvited because your relationship is over because you are breaking up with him. You have my permission to DTMFA. Happy fucking Thanksgiving.
1: Hey, Dan. Um, I'm calling to leave a comment about uh, episode 473 about the girl uh, who was kind of freaking out because her uh, boyfriend came out to her as bi. And you said, uh, you know, guys that, go, that don't go down on women uh, are probably really gay. And you said that before. Well, I can tell you, here is a gay guy. I'm very gay. I have a husband. I've been gay for years, 46 years old. And I went down on a woman uh, the time I had sex with a woman, and it was great, and I loved it, and I would do it again. And gay, gay, gayer, gayest, into pussy, like going down on a woman, and would do it again. So, figure that one out.
7: Hi, Jan. um, This is a comment for the woman who was wondering about how to um, get spankings with a new puppy in the house. Uh, The other thing that could happen is that your dog could get a little excited and want to join you in the bedroom. So to avoid both instances, I recommend crate training your dog, getting a Kong toy, filling it with peanut butter and letting your dog go to town on that or while your husband or boyfriend is going to town on you.
6: Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the woman who is concerned about her potential puppy barking during her loud sex. My husband and I have a dog, and the good news is that she never barks when we have sex. The bad news is that she climbs onto the bed right before my husband comes and proceeds to lick the wet spot. Enjoy puppy parenthood.
0: And we're going to leave it there. Before we get to the number, we now have mugs. You can let everyone in your office or your dorm or your house know that you're a Savage Lovecast listener and fan. There's a GGG mug and a fuck first mug. A subtle fuck first mug. Go to thestranger.com slash savage swag to check out the mugs and to order them on sale now ggg and fuck first mugs make an excellent gift and speaking of excellent gifts laura snoud tweets got the magnum edition of savage lovecast for my 29th now it feels like my birthday every tuesday thanks my friend amy thank you amy for gifting the lovecast to laura if anyone listening wants to gift the magnum edition of the savage lovecast to your friends and family go to savagelovecast.com 206-302-2064 is the number here at the newly swagged Savage Lovecast 206-302-2064 to record a question or comment for a future show. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Ken Jennings on Twitter at Ken Jennings. And follow my brother Billy, Bill Savage on Twitter at RogersParkMan. From the entire Savage Lovecast family, from me and Nancy and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth, we're wishing you a happy Thanksgiving. And me and Nancy and the Tech city at Rescue people will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for listening.